Hey guys, sorry for a short episode last time. I found that because I get so excited about this story, it's so kind of creepy and mysterious, I end up reading through my script a lot more quickly. So, so I've tried to make them a little longer for the next few episodes just to try and fill out somewhere closer to the 8 to 10 minute mark. Just to, you know, keep things a little interesting. I know I want to keep these episodes a little shorter and I've gotten pretty popular response to that. But too short and it's, you wonder why somebody bothered recording at all. So today we're going to try and stretch this out just a little farther. And I didn't want to stretch it out with just kind of fluff content. So... I just made myself a longer script, but I was not prepared for how quickly I drove through that yesterday. Today I'll try and do better. <laughs> Mina pondered the events aboard the Demeter as Lucy slip sleepwalked from room to room, trying all the doors. Ten days out from Russia, a crewman had vanished, according to the captain's log, and found on the doomed or sorry, the captain's log found on the doomed ship. The log stated that the man on the ship, the men on the ship had vanished one by one until they were just outside of London where a fog swallowed the ship whole. The captain's funeral was the next day. Far to the east, a man crossed the border. He was frantic, filthy, and exhausted, and barely alive. As he tried to push his way away from the forest and across the border, the bloody, sweaty shell of a man collapsed from exhaustion. He woke up days later in a hospital in Budapest. Back with Mina, she found herself back at the graveyard as the nice neighbor she used to go on walks with, Lucy and herself, had suddenly died. They said that he had been outside in a recent terrible storm and the bad weather had killed him, but Mina had never seen a storm break someone's neck. Now she and Lucy walked alone. Mina hoped the exercise would wear her friend out enough to keep her in bed at night. And when they went to bed that night, it seemed at first as though her plan had worked. Mina woke with a start in the middle of the night. Something was wrong. She ran to Lucy's room to find her friend had escaped through the window. Mina put on her cloak, took Lucy's with her, and darted out into the night to find her friend. When she finally found Lucy in the dark of the night, she was not alone. A large, shadowy figure loomed over her as she lay still on a stone bench. When Mina called out to Lucy, the dark figure looked up. They locked eyes. His face was of a stark and shocking white, and his glowing red eyes gleamed at her. In the blink of an eye, the man was gone, but his face was frozen in Mina's mind forever. Lucy slowly woke up. Mina wrapped her in her cloak and guided her home. For the first morning in days, Lucy woke Mina up in the morning and not the other way around. Lucy claimed to be feeling much better and more energetic than ever. Yet, as Mina examined her, she found two tiny pinpricks in Lucy's neck. Mina apologized. She must have pricked Lucy with the pin of her cloak last night in the dark. Lucy couldn't remember anything from the night before, including the strange man, but she was happy that Mina had come to her rescue. Shortly afterward, Mina received a letter from Jonathan's boss. Her fiancé was alive. The solicitor had received a letter from Sister Agatha in a hospital in Budapest. She also reported that he had been screaming in his sleep and that he claimed to have no memory of what he had been through. Mina said goodbye to Lucy and left to go bring her fiancé home. Dr. Seward tried to be patient as the madman in front of him scoffed and mocked him. 
He said that Seward and the doctors didn't matter now. Now his master was at hand. Five hours later, he escaped, then immediately headed north towards the Carfax estate. They found Renfield pounding on the door of the estate, pleading with his master that he had been faithful and was eager to serve. Seward rolled his eyes at this strange nonsense and sent the orderlies to capture the madman. Once they had grappled him to the ground, he immediately became compliant, quietly whispering over and over, I shall be patient, master. It is coming. Gradually, the patient became more and more calm and predictable until one day, when the orderlies were feeling comfortable and careless, Renfield slipped away. Little did the madman know that his escape was deliberate, as Dr. Seward followed him away to the Carfax estate. Unfortunately, Seward was not the only one with a trick up his sleeve. Renfield had remembered where the doctor and the orderlies had hidden from him last time, and when he was captured. Seward looked up just in time to see Renfield bring a rock down on his head. He was about to kill the doctor when he was tackled by an orderly. Now we get to meet little Timmy, who I think we only see his perspective once, so it's just a, a brief little moment. Timmy is sneaking out of bed because tonight there will be kisses. Kisses for everyone. Every night after bed, he and his friends went to see the woman they called the Bluefer Lady. She let them play wild and chaotic all night with no rules and no restrictions, no scolding or nagging. And then she gave them kisses. The first time, the kisses hurt. But before long, he and the other kids started to get the call at night and were pulled to the lady as gravity pulled them to the earth. It was all he could think about. He told his friends about the lady, and soon there would be more children, more kisses. Mina and Jonathan got married in the hospital in Budapest. Jonathan didn't remember what had happened in Transylvania, but he knew it was all in his diary. He gave the journal to Mina without reading it. He didn't want to know. Mina wrapped the journal in paper and sealed it with wax. She didn't need to know the past. They needed to focus on the future. As they approached their home, they saw a face in the crowd that froze them both. A snowy, pale face with a black mustache and blazing red eyes. Jonathan's hand trembled in Mina's. How? He's here. How could Count Dracula be here? And then the solicitor fainted and collapsed. And Jonathan just can't seem to catch a break. It seems like no matter what goes on, Dracula is always one step ahead of him. And he's not even like trying to fight this guy, right? He just wants to get on with his life. And it just doesn't seem like Dracula's going to let that happen. On the other hand, Dracula at this point is no longer actively seeking Jonathan either. They're kind of just living parallel to each other. And because they know all of the same people, or rather Jonathan knows the people that Dracula's choosing to dine on, their paths are going to keep intersecting, whether Jonathan hides from what happened in Transylvania or not. So it's almost like they're they're tied together, and it's it's unfortunate for both of them, because I get the feeling, too, that Dracula probably assumed that Harker was dead when he left Transylvania and had no intention of ever seeing him again. So these are two people that, well, one's a person, that really want nothing to do with each other but can't seem to get away from each other because they move in all the same circles. 
It'll be interesting to see what steps they both take next. Thank you for tuning in. Please like, subscribe, and share this with your friends. It really does encourage me to see how many listeners I get to every single episode and makes me feel like sharing these stories is definitely worthwhile. I think it's, it's good for people to understand the real stories that kind of help create the psychology of our society. I want as dark as Dracula is for it to mean more to you than Adam Sandler with a fake accent. And, uh, you know, I just kind of want the reality of these stories to sink in because so many stories have truth in them. I think it was Disney's brave where the mother says legends are lessons. They're stories that rhyme with or ring with truth. And there is a certain amount of that. I believe Tolkien said something to the same effect too, that there is a certain amount of truth in every lore or legend, whether that lore or legend has a kind of blatant, obvious moral or not. That's why I bother to tell stories that I'm not as fond of, like what the Rose did to the Cypress, because I think these stories have lasted as long as they have, because there's something within them that humanity relates to. And so many stories are being changed or edited or modified to fit a more modern structure, more modern point of view, that we lose what it is about those stories that have made them last so long, made them last two modern times in the first place. So definitely tune in if you're more interested in hearing where our culture and other cultures come from as far as how their folklore ties into their psychology. Thank you so much for tuning in and have a wonderful, wonderful day.